I'm going to be in Colossians today. And just as to bear witness of the importance of afflictions and God's purposes in them. Paul, in, in, in verse 24 of, of, of Colossians, first chapter, says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, Paul is in no way degrading or lessening the sufferings of Christ. But what he is bearing witness to is the very thing that Christ promised us and even called us to. And that is if you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to be his disciple, you must be willing to take up your cross and carry it. You must be willing, as he was willing, to go into the difficult places, to go into the dark places and receive whatever that which he has prepared for you. And on this Sunday of where we are celebrating Christ the King, perhaps it's foolishness to the world it is definitely foolish to the world that the one who we praise as the Almighty One, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is the one who came in complete poverty and complete weakness and died. Died in order to secure our salvation. Died and was resurrected in order to show the power, the unlimited power of God. It's a beautiful paradox, isn't it? So what I'm going to do today is, is more of a reflection because the passage of, in, in chapter 1 of Colossians, and we'll be going through pretty much through verse 9 and 20 are the passages that we're covering. But verses 15 through 20 contain something that is really special. You don't see everywhere, only in a couple places, actually. And that is that Paul has brought what is most likely a hymn, a hymn that existed in the early church before the letters of the apostles, the epistles, started to be gathered and sent out. The early church put together these, these hymns that they would sing or, or, or as, use them as creeds in order to not only proclaim who Christ is, but to remind each other who Christ is. And in the context of the church at Colossae, I believe that Paul was writing to a people who really needed encouraging. Though their suffering might not have been white hot, if you will. Nonetheless, I don't think it was a very fun thing to be a Colossian. You see, Col Colossae used to be in the 5th, 
fourth century BC, a great city. It was very prosperous. It had its own special type of wool, which I can't remember the name of it. And they dyed it in red. And it was just, it was famous. They had, they had beautiful amphitheater and, um, and was very, it was multicultural. And in fact, in the second century BC, the, the Roman uh, emperor sent 2,000 families, Jewish families there. And so, so it was a, a culture that, that was very alive, that was very cosmopolitan. But that began to change slowly. Um, what historians um, and, and of the day actually writing um, began to, to record that the series of earthquakes began to rack the region. And slowly and slowly, Colossae began to fade as an important city. Um, one, of the, one of the emperors uh, founded the, the city of Laodicea after his wife, named it after his wife. And of course, if you're Colossae, you must be thinking, well, this is great. How are we going to compete to them? Because all of a sudden, there's this town nearby that incidentally just comes up with a the color purple. Yours is the color red. We're going to do purple. Um, and, and through that begins to take over the city of Colossae. And so one of the things that, that it's sometimes maybe difficult for us to remember or comprehend is that when a city declines in the ancient world, it becomes a really difficult place to live. Those of us who have lived or traveled into third world countries, we see this when, when war or severe economic depression comes into an area. It's not just about people just kind of getting by. It's, it's about significant struggle. Um, it begins to take over your life. And so I believe it's into this context that, that, that Paul was writing and that Paul wanted to encourage and build them up. And so as we look at, at these next few passages, verses, since I've set that, that context, I'm probably not going to go too much more back there. So I want us just to focus on the words and what Paul is saying. So beginning in verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, And so from the day that we heard, and he's speaking of the gospel coming to the church at Colossae and of their testimony, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and insight, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I'll note Paul's prayer has two parts there. The first is to be filled with the knowledge of the will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. New Testament scholar Greg Beale points out that, that, that Paul is evoking God's direction to Moses for the construction of the tabernacle. Or in Exodus 31, verse 3, the Lord says to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with the ability and the intelligence and knowledge of all craftsmanship, 
to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in the carving of wood to work in every craft. And secondly, the second part of the prayer, as to walk in a manner of the Lord, to walk as Christ did, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, what's neat about this is Paul is evoking garden garden imagery. Listen to Genesis Verse, chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish in the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moved. So in, in these, these two prayers, Paul is, is combining and, and, and reaching back into the Old Testament of this picture of the Garden of Eden as a place of both God's presence and the place where God's mission is established. Do you hear that? God's presence. So in Exodus, we, we have the idea of tabernacle. And one of the things when you look at, at, at in, in, the, in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, when you read about the construction of the tabernacle, what you find there is all of the garden imagery. All of the garden imagery. It was everywhere. It was everywhere, not only in the tabernacle, but it was also in the temple that was built by Solomon. And so from the very beginning, all the way back to, to Genesis, this, there's this idea of God dwelling, his dwelling place, being connected to both a garden and Garden of Eden being the, the, the picture, the archetype, the very first temple, the very first temple, and that the temple of God is not only the place for his tabernacling, being with the people, but it's also the place where his people work out the mission of God, which to Adam and Eve was to spread the knowledge of the Lord all over the earth. The same call that Paul is praying for, that they, the Colossians, would walk in the manner of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, one of the things that, that of course, we know that happened is the mission and the, and the mandate that God gave in the Garden of Eden what, did it continue or did it fall apart? It fell apart and fell apart mis miserably when Adam sinned, when he chose, instead of obeying the commandments of God, he sinned, he rebelled. And as Adam was given regency over creation, he was God's image bearer on earth and he was to rule in the place of God. So as he was given that stewardship, because that he betrayed that stewardship, everything that was under him was cursed as well. So it wasn't just Adam who fell, but it was also creation. I'll read uh, out of Romans 
chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And who was that one who was to come? That was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who brought redemption to the world through his death on the cross, through his resurrection of and from the dead, he not only extends life to you and I through his salvation, but he is also redeeming all of creation from the bondage of death, as Paul writes to the, to the Romans in chapter 8, verses 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, this being Adam, in hope that creation itself would be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we get this picture that as we are being set free and as we, the people of God, are being built up into the body of Christ, so creation is being restored, is being restored. And so why am I talking about all of these things in the context of the Colossians and the church of Colossae? Well, think about what they had lost, the memory, the memory of, of, of being affluent, the memory of mattering, not just in their region, but in the entire Roman Empire. There's a movie, which was, I think it came out in the 90s. You remember As Good As It Gets? Any of y'all remember that movie, Jack Nicholson? It was, it was good. The, the, if you don't know, the, the premise of it was a man, Jack Nicholson's character, who just was a, bless his heart, he had so many um, psychological, I mean, OCD, you, you name it. Things just really made his life very difficult. And one day... He is with, in this moment, this really defines the movie. He's with some of his friends, and they, they all struggle. They all struggle, and, and they're all trying to get better. But Jack Nicholas, this character, asks this simple but profound question. What if this is as good as it gets? And do you think anyone had an answer for that? Or, or wanted to answer that? I think that's a very pertinent question for you and I today. And maybe not just specifically in our lives, but the people who we love, who are around us. Have you ever found yourself asking, thinking, what if this is as good as it gets? Have you? 
Paul's prayer continues in verse 11. May you be strengthened with all spiritual power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have forgiveness of sins. Paul is praying for the Colossian church to be strengthened with all power, and, and you can imply that is implied all spiritual power, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's asking that the power of the Holy Spirit would fill them so that they would be able to endure, and not just endure, but to endure patiently, and patiently in a way in which the joy of the Lord is revealed to them. And one of the ways that the joy of the Lord is revealed through people who are suffering, through people who are enduring through difficult times, is when, in spite of it all, they're grateful people. And that doesn't mean they're thankful for everything that comes along their way. But it means that they recognize that in spite of what is happening now, the Father, the Lord, He is good. And He is good and worthy to be praised because, as Paul writes in verse 12, He has qualified us not only to be brought out of darkness and light. We just haven't been saved from eternal death, which in itself is a wonderful thing. But we have qualified, He has qualified us to a share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You and I, because that we are in Christ, we are joint heirs. He's not just our Savior, He's our brother. And because of that, His inheritance is our inheritance. And we now in this age are, are called and are given the, the provision to begin to experience that that freedom, that, that inheritance. And we are only able to experience and walk in it through the power of the Spirit. And we read from 2 Corinthians 3, verse, beginning in verse 17. Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so, Paul's message to the Colossians is, is of course, his message to us today. That he has not left us alone. We have not merely been saved from death. But we have been brought into this wonderful inheritance, which is not just the things that Christ is going to inherit, a, a kingdom, but it also includes more than anything relationships. 
one of the things that, that is important for us to remember is that the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, has existed for all eternity. So God has never been alone. He did not create us out of a need to be to be needed. That's one thing that separates our God and his nature from nearly and pretty much every other God who has worshipped false God in this world. Is that our God does not need us. He didn't give to us salvation. He didn't call us out of darkness into light just so he could do something good. No, he did it because he wanted to increase his joy. He wanted more. He wanted more of, 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 of well, just he wanted to extend his glory and his goodness beyond the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it's into that eternal and blessed community of the Father, Son, and the Spirit that we have been invited into. This is our, great, our greatest inheritance. That now, beginning, and throughout eternity, we will have an unfettered interaction with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Now is the beginning of it. Obviously, we're not experiencing the fullness of that. But that is our hope. That is our hope. And it's important for you and I to live in that hope today, especially in times where we are questioning and asking ourselves, is this as good as it gets? So... I want, to, I want to kind of stop the exposition here and let this hymn, this creed, stand for itself. And as I read this, I invite you to follow along, not just mentally, but, but let your heart follow along. Because in proclaiming this, just as we will um, speak the Apostles' Creed, we, we are declaring the goodness of God. We are declaring the glory of God. So beginning in verse 15. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created for him and by him. And he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is, this is the greatness of our salvation. This is what we have been brought into. In many ways, this hymn and even this passage is, answers the question, who is our king? Who is this Jesus? Well, this is he. Jesus is the creator of the universe. Jesus is the ruler of the universe. Jesus is the savior of the cosmos. Jesus is the head of the church through which he is bringing the fullness of the salvation to the ends of the earth. And we, as the redeemed, are delighted in by the Lord because he is simply pleased to dwell with us. He is simply pleased to dwell with us. So, in light of this, in light of these truths, how should we live? How can we respond to this? Well, first, a good place is just to go back to the beginning of, of this of this. Uh, section to verse 9, to Paul's prayers in verse 9 and 10. And Paul's prayer is that first we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And just as the knowledge of his will is to, is to fill us and just as we are to be filled up in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we are to carry this out into the world. So that as we multiply, the world and the knowledge of God multiplies. And this brings glory to God. And secondly, we are to walk, Paul prays, that we would walk in the manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him. If he has done all these things for us, we're often asked, shouldn't we do it for him? I don't really like that, to be honest with you. Our doing, our walking, is the overflow of his love and his presence within us. When, his, when our desires, John Piper says, that God is most glorified, when he is the one who satiates, who quenches our desires. You want to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, delight yourself in the Lord. Pursue him with everything you have. We begin this, and then just I'm going to, to suggest just a couple practical matters of, of how we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, how we can begin to do this. And it begins with simple obedience, just simple obedience. 
I love it the way these grand callings can be worked out and begun with just a simple step of faith. Love your brother. Do you find yourself having a hard time to love someone? Well, simple obedience just just teaches us as as the Apostle John writes in, in 1 John, that if we say that we have love, that we are walking in the light and hate our brother or our sister, or what? We're liars and the truth is not in us. So an act of simple obedience would simply be to confess that, to confess to the Lord and perhaps to the brother, I'm having a hard time liking you. Let's keep it simple. But what happens, and I think one of the ways we can, we can explain life as a, in Christ is, is that it's a series of divine exchanges. The first and the greatest divine exchange being that Christ died for us. And by us having faith in him, his salvation, his righteousness comes upon us so that we are the righteousness of Christ. But also on a more blood and guts level, if you will, there's a divine exchange that happens when we simply confess and ask for the grace to walk in obedience. Test him on this. He will show you the way to walk in simple obedience. Secondly, persevere. Persevere, wait on the Lord. As I spoke at the beginning, your perseverance matters. Perseverance creates character in us. Perseverance is, 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 is really can be understand as, as holding yourself to the fire, if you will. God's purposes for our struggles ultimately is to conform us more into the image of Christ. And so by persevering, we are, in a sense, agreeing and submitting to God's purposes. So simple obedience, perseverance. Go all in. Go all in. If these things, everything that we've looked at, that we've read, that we've proclaimed, that Paul proclaims about Christ and his love for us and and what he has done for us and, and more importantly of who we are now. Is there any other way that we should live other than giving him everything we have? So we must go all in. And lastly, do all of these things together. We were not called to live alone. And some of the, 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 the times of, of, of God's greatest provision are experienced when we simply invite other people into our lives. So back to the question that we often find ourselves in and that I, I believe the Colossians found themselves in is this as good as, as it gets which I believe 
Paul to the people of God would answer that with a, a, a resounding no. No. And this is where you and I have to take the risk of being proved wronged. This is, in a sense, a great adventure that he invites us on.